Hi folks, it's your host W. Curtis Preston and I wanted to give you some great news. Druva liked my latest O'Reilly book enough to sponsor it and you can get a free copy by just going to druva.com slash podcast. Hope you like it. This week on No Hardware Required, we'll be talking about the trends that matter and some that don't. My guests this week are Stephen Manley, our CTO, and Preeti Srinivasan, our Director of Innovation. Thanks for joining. Hi, and welcome to the No Hardware Required podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me our CTO, Stephen Manley. How's it going, Stephen? Oh, this is going to be great. I'm hoping by the time this is posted, I'll have had a COVID shot. <laughs> I actually, I, ha I have had one, and I get my second one in two days. I'm very, very, very excited. Oh, oh look at you. Going to go out and uh, start licking like lampposts and stuff again? The one advantage of being old, right? Of being older than I think everyone else on this call, I, I fit into the age category that allowed me to get COVID shots first. So uh, I, I want to welcome uh, for the uh, welcome again to our podcast, Preeti. How's it going, Preeti? Uh, going on well, Curtis. Thank you for having me here. Hi, Stephen. Hello, hello. We did an episode uh, uh, earlier on in the year uh, where we talked about things that, you know, sort of a prediction episode for the year. And this is, this is a little bit different than that. We're just talking about, in general, the trends that are happening uh, in, in the market. And so since you're responsible for innovating, I would think that it would be, you know, part of your job is to keep on all of the various trends that are out there. So there, there's a few that are going on. So I thought I'd talk about what, what, what do you think are like the top, I don't know, two or three trends that are out there that would, that would drive innovation? Some of the top trends that uh, can start off. So we can dive into uh, Kubernetes and AIML uh, and some bits of uh, some bits of like blockchain as well. And we can double click on those. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, Stephen, what do you think we should start with first? Well, I've heard blockchain is responsible for melting the polar ice caps. Why don't we start there? <laughs> <laughs> Let's push it off for a few minutes. Oh, um, fine, fine. Just you, gonna let the think? world. Just gonna just gonna let the world melt. That's fine, Curtis. Yeah. 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 Let's well, begin we'll, at the beginning. We'll solve global warming here in a, in a you know in a bit. So you think <laughs> Kubernetes or AIML? What do you think? Which we can cool? we can start with Kubernetes. We can start right. with Kubernetes, and um, yeah. So starting off with Kubernetes, we have been seeing uh, the orchestration need that's coming up for organizations. Uh, yes. So the general shift to the cloud has been uh, driving more adoption towards uh, containers, and when you adopt containers, automatically you need uh, you need orchestration of these. So by uh, by 2022, uh, we're expecting to see about like 75% of global organizations uh, to be running containerized applications in production. So I think it's from Forrester. Expect a lot of adoption in this. As the adoption is increasing, we'll also want to look at the ecosystem that is available and with the Kubernetes uh, orchestration there. So app support uh, for like, Mongo, MySQL, all those are increasing for containerized Kubernetes workloads. And there is the uh, increased adoption and capabilities going on with um, enterprise Kubernetes like, uh, like OpenShift or Rancher. 
in, even if you look at like cloud providers, right, whether it's AWS, GCP, uh, their support for the managed services of like running Kubernetes in their cloud, so where customers don't um, have to do much in the process of orchestrating, but rather focus on building their applications there, uh, that focus is, uh, uh, there's more focus on that and it's increasing, increasing there. So we, we typically see like two types uh, one where they uh, customers will want to like focus on like raw or uh, native native Kubernetes, and then there are customers who are adopting uh, these quickly getting into into this by adopting like managed services or enterprise Kubernetes solutions so that they can uh, use uh, orchestration for their container environments. One of the tipping points for me certainly is is I think there was a tipping point when we started seeing stateful applications, and then I think the the more recent tipping point, like you said, of there's a lot of EKS out there now. You need to define EKS. Ah, sorry, AWS is uh, Elastic Kubernetes Service. So so basically, the AWS service that that runs Kubernetes for you more or less and 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 why to me that's such a big deal is that in the early days you know any any sort of open source you know i want to do this my own and 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 fool around with things uh would, would never you know would never you know trust you know so, some third party service to to run its kubernetes for them but now they are and and that and that means that we're we're, we're we sort of hit a hit another inflection point that says you know people are trying to professionally use this not just use it uh for for science projects and 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 development projects and so i i've seen a couple of big inflection points lately i have some very interesting like moments in time that are memories i still remember the first time i sat someone down and asked them what is the cloud I still remember. I still remember that that first conversation. I also remember the first time talking to someone about Kubernetes, and them being very adamant that if you had um, persistent data in a container, then you were then you were doing it wrong. Clearly, that uh, has you know that you you mentioned that as sort of the big shift. Clearly, that has happened. And Preeti, you mentioned that we're seeing. Um, all of these other services that are, you know, that are using Kubernetes. And clearly, if, if it's a if it's an application that's interesting, it's an application that has data, right? And data needs to be persistent. Yes, there are, there are stateless applications that are still being used, but we also see an increase when it comes to stateful applications because when you're developing these environments and these production applications, uh, it many times makes sense to have the data right right in your cluster and uh, for for faster operations, better state. And with given with the a scope of like managed solutions that comes along along with that, it makes sense to. Uh, run stateful applications. And um, another important thing that you want to notice here uh, when you're seeing in the part of like, you know, things when they are stateful as well, the application-centric approach. So being able to, uh, customers at the end of the day care about their applications. They don't care about a cluster or, you know, the nodes. Yes, that on an infrastructural standpoint, but what it comes for developers and admins, application admins, and it's about the application itself. They focus on the application. So, and this application is like many parts to it, whether it's the parts that's running in the cluster, it's the uh, persistent volumes through which they access this data, 
And all these things together consist an application for them. And they want to uh, focus on that, protect that, migrate that, uh, expand that, scale based on that. So that is, uh, with adoption, follows the the, uh, application application centric approach on managing Kubernetes workloads. Stephen, that that is something that you've touched on and we've touched on, I think, in, in other podcasts. You really like the application-centric approach of Kubernetes, right? That, that that finally we'll be able, as as backup people, will be able to back up an application versus just a database or just a server. It, it is it is one of the two or three holy grails that that, that I that I look for. I'm not sure if you're allowed to have multiple holy grails, but if you can, <laughs> that, that's 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 one of my two or three uh, for for sure. Because uh, it's it's always been frustrating that that we we back up more of infrastructure than we do applications. And and like Preeti said, and infrastructure is becoming less and less uh, you know persistent itself, right? The infrastructure is, is relatively uh, ephemeral. Uh, it, it should be the applications that are forever and their data. Of course, their data. So we, 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 we listed a couple of things. The next big trend that you saw, Preeti, was you talk about you know AI and ML. Yes. Uh, so first off, I think, Preeti, it's important for those who don't live in that world to define the difference. You know, what is ML and what, you know, machine learning, versus artificial intelligence? So, so machine learning, you look at machine learning as something um, uh, where you have, you have data and using that data, you derive uh, a generalized pattern based out of that. So that next time when the system encounters a similar situation, it has built a pattern and it can, and it can, uh, predict or it can say what should be done based on that scenario. Artificial intelligence is a um, it's it's like a it's a larger scope of things. Automa- uh, machine learning is part of that. Artificial intelligence can uh, uh, can expand to like you know automation and um, even even like different kinds of like reinforcements. In, in a simple way, you know, if you think about it, uh, machine learning you. It's something that you will be like applying uh, in in your solutions, in your software, and so on. Artificial intelligence is like when you see like you know these robots and uh, learning uh, learning based on like reinforcements, and that that expands more into that area. But it's it's fine to use that interchangeably because it has it has kind of become the norm that people use that interchangeably, anyways. So. So what what do you think is is happening right now with AI and ML in in our space? Let me let me give you like a little bit of an overview on what's happening, and then like expand it to like what happens in uh, our space when it comes to that. So um, one large trend uh, that that we see here is like with, when it comes to AI ML, it suddenly gives this uh, effect of like needing, uh, needing some level of like, you know, specialized skills and so on. So organizations, even open source projects, cloud providers started to see that. And they're like, you know what, we want to get you working on AI ML quickly. What the trend started to go towards is to democratization of this. So where you, uh, in in some use cases where you don't necessarily need an, an uh, a data scientist and uh, machine machine learning engineer or someone 
want to like work on this but a software or any developer can where they can call these pre-trained models which which are built with uh, millions or even billions of data sets in which you are trained and they can use that for uh, for uh, b- basic uh, recognition or uh, speech to text or uh, identifying entities and so on so there's the democratization trend that happens so that's making the accessibility for ai ml easier and uh, from there so now that let's say that when the accessibility and the adoption starts increasing, more and more applications will start going into production. So uh, we are expecting about like a 40% increase in production applications uh, for AI ML. And the number of AI ML projects itself is expected to like, you know, multiply by two, I, I think in, in, in a year. What happens, like now we're talking about production applications. And when you start talking about production applications, then you have to think of everything: the uh, the you know the engineering, the uh, the the scale, the reliability, the performance, the accuracy, the uh, the CI/CD pipeline, the versioning. All those things come as part of that. So that leads to ML ops, where it brings all these all these things together, where you can build these models, train these models, version these. As you 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 have to keep retraining because the models will start performing weaker as data changes right so you train with the new models so you see the you'll see the adoption of the ml ops increasing and already like uh, cloud providers are uh, providing more solutions in that area so now comes like you know we see uh, in in even in the models that we that we build right whether it's for compliance or governance providing the accountability being able to tell why the model performed a certain uh, made a certain decision so why why is this important for uh, definitely for privacy and compliance reasons and also also for like accountability like uh, and it's also important to like reduce bias. Uh, if you see, for instance, uh, there was this uh, paper uh, written uh, like Joy, Joy Boulam-Winnie's research paper. It was a gender shades project. And uh, she was seeing that, you know, that uh, the um, classification that was happening, right, the error rates were pretty high for darker skinned females. It was like about the error, error rate was about like by 35%, up to 35%, various for light skinned males were up to 0.8%. So this is uh, this is serious because that shows there's a bias in the model. So having making the right data choices, making the having building the right data set in building these models, um, and being able to like uh, answer these questions and having the compliance capabilities and the uh, on the privacy and being able to explain. So these leads to explainability. And further down, so when you look at our our own our own um, uh, data de- unlocking the value of data capabilities right the context matters a lot you need to know what is the intent of the user and you should also understand what is the context of the data like for instance you're providing uh, the uh, a search capability for for let's say um, forensics and then an hr an HR person triggers a search on performance. They are clearly looking for performance of an employee. They are not looking for the performance testing results of your uh, of your application, whether you know how it performed uh, under under stress. So, in, being able to have the context uh, is important. 
So some of the main areas to look at is like democratization, uh, the production, moving into production, MLOps, keeping explainability and keeping the context in the picture while developing these. So how, how do you how do you balance those then, right? Because because democratization says for the most part I'm I'm starting this for the first time. It's going to be pretty new to me, and then you've just scared me with you know the the need for explainability and 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 sort of you know maintaining the model. So so how 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 do people balance that, or is there a multi phase process, or how would you recommend they go about looking at that then? So it is it is a multi-phase process. So yes, democratization gets you like eased into adopting. It's like, you know, it's uh, the first quick step to get into uh, AI ML. But then oh, you're going to very soon, very quickly find yourself in needing to build your own models for your use cases. So that's when you know the production and uh, uh, when you're when you're managing retraining the models and all those things, all those things come in. Uh, it's a it's a very common question you know that I get on like so how how do you have like a strategy for uh, AI AI ML in in your organization? Obviously, there's there's a lot of people on this this podcast I think listening and saying. You know, either my boss has told me to 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 bring in AI ML, whatever that means, or 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 there's just somebody who's 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 looking to bring it into their organization. What would you recommend to them of of how to bring it in, how to get started? I will tell you. Look at the top three things: a compelling use case, and second, you need data, and third, the right people to make it happen. I'll give a little bit more explanation there. So when you pick a use case. You want to pick a use case that will have a sustained interest across in the organization and and with the stakeholders. So this must be a real problem that you want to solve. Like for instance, like you know, if you take at Druva, we are looking like how can we help our customers identify personal data. Uh, so we, we start with a use case uh, that has a real value for your customers. When you are looking at the use case itself. You don't have to jump into like, oh, it's an AI use case, an ML use case. You genuinely come with a problem that is worth solving. And then then uh, realize that, you know, it's AI ML is a, a technological solution that you apply to solve that problem. So you first start from there. Then the next step will be like translating your business problem into uh an AI ML problem. So uh, it can it can here in this case can map to a classification. It based on based on your use case can map to like an anomaly detection problem or it can be like a prediction problem. You start from there and then you translate into what that means into AI ML. Then comes the second but the very important part of solving this problem is data. In pre-trained models uh, where where you just going uh, or like an you know, auto ML auto carers or like uh, some of the AWS pre-trained models that's available, you might not carry that much data because on some common use cases, like I was saying, right, like keyword extraction or entity recognition or voice um, to text or in, in those cases, there are built models. But when you're building something very specific to your use case, then you will need data. So before, before it, uh, just don't underestimate what it takes to you know collect collect this data but it is important if 90% of the scenarios that you're looking for is something that can be solved heuristically then it's it's okay to have a heuristic approach if that's not the case then it, 
that goes back to the first point I said, that if the use case is worth it, then you will start collecting data for that. And it's generally good to uh, start with a use case which you already have some data in some raw format somewhere. Like, for example, it can be your logs or it can be like even some external data sets. Like, for instance, we were building a classification a use case based on emails. And we started off for exploration with external email data sets that were available to build our first exploratory models there. So you can have external data. Then you can also like augment data when it comes to like images, right? You can you can flip them. You can blur them. You can... Uh, uh, you know, you can add different noise to the data. You can augment the data sets. You can, like, uh, there's also, like, synthetic data generation that which you can uh, which you can do. Like, at, at Druva, we do that. We don't use production data at all, but we create, uh, create synthetic data that follows the distribution of how certain parameters distributed in creating data that web data that does that. And then if that's not the case, then you can expand it to like using managed services like AWS, where they have like ground truth, where uh, you can you can either have like a, a heuristic way of labeling these, running regular expressions, or you can even like hire um, uh, Turks or subject matter experts who can help you label this data. But it's important, it's important that you go through this data collection process there are advanced ways as well to generate more data sets but uh you need to have the data to uh begin with this and going from there you will have like you know data preparation techniques so now you're looking at data and data lake so being able to like slice this data uh you'll you'll create like you know profiles of this data then extracting what features is needed then you create training, you measure, and so on. So this is the process which I uh, and which I went through here. It's more like when you're building your own AI ML models. So we'll look at that. So that's when the people side of things come. The third point, which I was saying, it's a culture that you know it needs to come from the top, uh, where we uh, open. I'm not saying that you have to. Uh, you know, say like, you know, adopt, but you must be like open to uh, have that mindset to open enough to approach these new technology and new solutions and have engineers to work on this, providing the the training or even the opportunities that is required to uh, work on these solutions. So, so, so a question on the on the people side then, because I I, I remember we were having a discussion with I want to say uh, Enrico uh, Signoretti right uh, about Kubernetes, not AIML, uh, and he asked two or three questions, and 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 after I answered them, he said, okay, those are sort of my two or three questions to make sure that you're not full of it, right? That 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 you you can reference enough of the contents that that I know that you're not just saying you back up Kubernetes, but you know what you're doing. So, so some of what you just walked through in terms of, you know, getting the right data, curating the data lake, you know, managing all that, would you say that, that you know, if, if, if your organization can't, if, if the person in charge of AIML in your organization isn't having those conversations, there's probably a good chance you're not going to have a successful AIML strategy. Are those sort of your, your, your gatekeeper type of questions? Um, those are important because the thing with AIML, there are there are fun parts, yes, knowing, understanding the models and so on. But there's a lot of grunt work that goes along with that, which is like the data collection and curating the data, preparing the data, and um, having having uh, a continuous uh, training process. And so all those things are also the work that goes with it. So yes, to answer your question, it is important that you know th- that goes back to my um, uh, you know. In, <clears throat> 
in the previous podcast, we we're talking about like having generalists. So being able to work across the span is is important. You you need to have folks that who are uh, uh, engineers who who can do these these processes, these steps, it takes to create that model. You need to look across those skills as well. All right. So we've talked uh, for quite a while about AI ML. We talked about Kubernetes, and these are trends that you see uh, in you know in the industry. I'm going to give you, for time reasons, I think we only have time for one non-trend. What do you see as something that people talk about, but that you don't really see as a at least a current trend that anybody needs to worry about? My non-trend there is quantum computing. Don't get me wrong. This quantum computing is amazing. The potential that it has is great. I mean, we're going to be rethinking how computing is being done. It's no more of zeros and ones. It's fluid. It's dynamic. Um, it, li- it is literally built on quantum uncertainty. And don't ask me what that is because it's a very, you know, a physics-oriented term there. So um, it, it has a lot of potential. We can create unbreakable encryption. What, what it means in field of, like, you know, data protection. So it's very important, right? Uh, un- unbreakable encryption encryption, data transfer in like warp speed where you're not, you're no more physically transmitting data. Uh, uh, it's not bound by physical transmission. It's, it's like, you, know, you can send data across space and time. Computation can happen in a, in a jiffy, but you will like the way we saw for AI ML, it's totally, uh, you know, to have like math, math majors, being uh, ML engineers and data scientists, you would see like physicists uh, being in tech tech organizations. Yes, all these all these great transformations waiting, but we still have time. Stephen, does that mean we have to shut down our quantum computing project? <laughs> I tell you that that was that was the brave new market. We were, we were going to go out with a specific backup product for just quantum and uh, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> quantum computers, yeah. All right. Well, wait, I need to shut this this quantum project down before it gets any more unstable. So, th- uh, Preeti, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you both. All right. And Stephen, thanks for being on, of course. Thanks, Curtis. Have a great day, everybody. And uh, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And remember, here at Truva, there's no hardware required.